0: It is wonderful to be with you today. Uh, My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team, and I'd love to encourage you to grab your notes out of your handout. Uh, You can see that we are starting a new series today, and it's called The Kingdom of God Is. And um, I I really do want to welcome all of you here, especially those of you who are just checking out this whole church thing for the first time. We're just really glad that you're here. Um, But I have a feeling that God wants us to talk about the kingdom the kingdom of God. We've been singing about it a little bit. And, and so what is that phrase all about? And the reason why I think that it's important for us to talk about is because of this little thing that Jesus said. Okay, this is what Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So just take a look at that verse, and you might want to circle a couple of words like above all else, right? Now, when I was growing up, I was in uh, Sunday school uh, uh, occasionally, and, and uh, I, um, I, I learned a song in Sunday school about this verse, and it was uh, from the King James uh, version of the verse. It was, seek ye first—I don't even know what a ye is, but seek ye 1st the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Allelu, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I sang that song, and we actually sang it in rounds, and then the guy girl harmonies, and all this stuff. And at the end, there was like this heavenly hush over the Sunday school room, and it was angelic. But you know what's interesting is that nobody ever talked to me about what the kingdom of God meant. Which is a bummer, because if you're going to seek it above all else, uh, you need to sort of know what it's all about. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to look at the person of Jesus and just see, now what is it that he was talking about, and what is it that he was doing, and, and let's try to get our arms around this idea of the kingdom of God, because if we're supposed to seek it above all else, let's at least know what it is that we're seeking. Fair enough? Okay, so you look at Jesus, and you look at Jesus' arrival on the scene, and if you want to read through the the Bible, um, the stories are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels. That's the story of Jesus' life and ministry. And as you start reading through those books in the Bible, what you're going to find out is that Jesus showed up preaching the kingdom, that this was his message, it was like the platform that he was constantly on. And, and in the New Testament, he uses the phrase kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven interchangeably. And if you do read through the Gospels, what you'll find are that he uses these two phrases more often than you had even dared to imagine. It constantly comes up. It's always a part of what he's talking about. And so, for example, in Matthew 9, 35, It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so in this passage, we see a couple of things. We see that Jesus is a man of compassion, and he sees that we're harassed, that we're helpless. He he has compassion on us as humans, but we also see that his message was the good news of the kingdom, that he's talking about the kingdom, that that's his platform, and And what he's talking about when he said things like the kingdom of God is at hand, the the kingdom of heaven is near, he's talking about a supernatural reality that through him, the rule and reign of God had become manifest in this world. So think about that for a moment, and then think about the things that Jesus did. All the things that Jesus did were to support the teaching that he said about the kingdom of God. So, for example, uh, walking on water, calming the storm, multiplying food, setting the oppressed free, healing the sick, touching the leper, honoring the Samaritan woman, valuing the bullied and the harassed and the condemned and the outcast. All of the stuff that Jesus did simply authenticated the stuff that Jesus said about the kingdom. He's saying the kingdom of God is come crashing into the kingdom of this world. And in order to sort of set the context, we have to go back even further than that. We have to talk about what it was like at the beginning of all things, right? God set the whole thing up. He ordered the universe. Everything was, was basically kingdom of God, undivided. And in this pristine environment, he had his creation, the first humans, and they were vice regents. They were stewards in this kingdom that he had created. And he had um, sort of endowed them with this unbelievable authority to govern and to rule and reign this domain as God's domain. So that, that's, when you read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 at the very beginning of the Bible, that's the picture that you see. And then in Genesis 3, something happens. We refer to this as the fall of man, or the time that sin and rebellion entered the world. And this is where the enemy of God came to humans and tempted them and deceived them and got them to rebel against God, their father. In that moment, all the authority that Adam and Eve had was lost. In fact, I want to even say it more clearly. It's not that they lost authority. It's that they handed it to the enemy. They gave it away. And some of you right now are thinking, wait, are you talking about the devil? Are you talking about Satan? I I am. In fact, I, I know sort of what this sounds like, maybe if you're hearing it for the first time. But the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, paint a very clear picture that there was a very beautiful and powerful angel, incredibly majestic, and um, he was, you know, really high-ranking. Lucifer was his name, And, and he wanted his own glory and not the glory of God. So he rebelled against God, and he was kicked out of heaven, but he took a third of the angels with him. A third of the angels thought that he was something special. And so they went after him, and and so now we see a kingdom divided, because humans have now given their authority over to this uh, realm, this ruler, and, and now there's this oppression thing going on. And so it's no longer one kingdom, God's kingdom, undivided. Now we've got a separation, two kingdoms, kingdom of God, and now kingdom of the enemy of God. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Now, I just want to tell you, I I totally know how this sounds, right? Like, like I I get it. It's fanciful and, you know, angels and demons stuff. I thought that was a Dan Brown novel. Like, what's going on here? But if you throw this cosmology out, then you throw out so much of the New Testament and you throw out Jesus' own perception of reality. And so you have to sort of get this. And, and so I want to look at a couple of verses real quick, which simply identify what I'm, what I'm talking about. The backdrop here is we see that there is a spiritual reality. And in the spiritual realm, there are these kingdoms at war. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, it says, Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They can't understand the truth of of Jesus and what God wants to accomplish through Jesus. Why? Because Satan has blinded their minds, and and then the Scripture tells us who Satan is right now. He's the God of this world. He's the one in charge of the kingdom, right? The kingdom of this world. Uh, Ephesians 2.2. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Who's that? The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And in this last verse of 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You might want to underline that phrase, under the sway, under the influence of the wicked one, so the Bible is really clear. This is just three verses that Jesus has the same cosmology. It's Old Testament and New Testament that there are kingdoms at war, and and I want to just kind of like full disclosure here. I want to let you know that um, th- that I'm like when it comes to watching movies, I'm like a total like I just, I get scared and wormed out super easy, right? Like I just, I want you to know on the wuss level, Pastor Mike is high. Uh, so I just, it's just true. And and so I don't watch scary movies and I can't watch scary movies. And like, seriously, I'm not joking. You know, Jaws undoes me, right? Like I'm just, ah. Uh. Uh, so every once in a while, I'll see a trailer for a movie, just the trailer. And I'm like, like, It just, you know, uh, you know, Jody said, Where's Mike? Oh, he's in the closet. Like, I'm just so scared. uh, So, you know, like, um, paranormal activity would be that. Just watching a preview about, you know, demonic forces, just, like, the hair on my back, and I'm like, oh, and sucking my thumb. Like, I, like, horrified. You know, um, uh, you know, anything like The Exorcist or The uh, Exorcism of Emily Rose or any Amityville stuff. Like, anything that has to do with, like, demonic reality. And I was thinking about it. I was kind of processing with the Lord this week, just thinking about why that is. And, and one of the thoughts that I had was, you know, maybe scary movies like this actually accomplish something. Even as misguided as some of them can be and as celebratory of evil, what, what movies like this do is they unmask a reality. You know, you send your kid to camp and they come home with ghost stories, right? And they're all freaked out about ghost stories. And they say, oh, mom, dad, are there ghosts? And you're like, oh, no, there's no such thing as ghosts. But when they come back and they say, hey, mom, dad, I heard a bunch of demon stories. Are there, are there demons? You're like, yeah, there are. Sorry. <laughs> Like that's, there's a reality there. that there are, there are two kingdoms in violent opposition with one another. And I want to just tell you there are so many nations and so many nationalities and there are patriots in every nation on planet earth. But I want to be very clear with you that there are only two kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy of God. Right and, and so even as I say that maybe some of you are kind of processing well which kingdom am I in You know what this does this awareness of the kingdom it absolutely changes what salvation is Right salvation when we have this kingdom awareness it's it's no longer your ticket to heaven What salvation is is a transfer of your allegiance it's a change in your citizenship. You're moving from one kingdom, the kingdom of the enemy of God and the ruler of this age, and you're transforming your citizenship to the kingdom of light. And that's what the scripture tells us here in Corinthians, talking about God. It says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's what Christ has done for us, purchasing our freedom, forgiving our sins, and we are now rescued from the kingdom of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of light. So uh, I do want to let you know that this was always God's plan, that from the moment that Adam and Eve chose rebellion, that God had a rescue plan in operation. So in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall and the rebellion. We see Satan now having authority, but even in that same chapter, Genesis 3, God reveals that he will send someone who will crush Satan's head and who will break the powers of darkness and will establish his own kingdom. He's referring in the future to his son, Jesus Christ. And so this will begin then a revolution that will have its culmination with a united kingdom once more. So just as in creation, there was one kingdom, it was all God's kingdom, so that's the picture that we get of the end. One kingdom, all God's kingdom. Right? I put this verse on your outline from Revelation. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. This is where the whole thing is headed. Right? This is where history is, is marching toward the culmination of the whole story is this united kingdom. As it was in the beginning, it will be again. But I say all this as backdrop for the conversation about Jesus. Because when he arrived and he announced the kingdom of God is at hand, that was an incredibly revolutionary moment, right? He is inaugurating the kingdom of God right in the midst of the kingdom of darkness, His act itself is the invasion of enemy-occupied territory. And so this is an incredible revolutionary kind of a thing, Jesus' arrival and preaching the kingdom of God. And and, and he is is God's champion to destroy the works of the enemy. And so his arrival was the absolutely beginning of a revolt against darkness. So here's what I want to do. That's all backdrop. Let's talk about what the kingdom is. And and so we're gonna define it. If you wanna fill in the blanks, this may be helpful for you to chew on later during the week. But the first thing you need to know is that the kingdom exists wherever the Lord is king. The kingdom of God exists wherever Christ is king. And when Jesus showed up, he showed up as king. He displayed his authority in situation after situation after circumstance. Think about at age 12, where we find him in the temple schooling the scholars, right? Think about that time when there was an angry mob that was ready to throw him off the cliff, and he calmly walked unscathed through their midst. Or Jesus commanding weather patterns, or resisting temptation, or making food multiply. Friends, Jesus was large and in charge from the very beginning. I even want you to think about the circumstances surrounding his crucifixion. He was in authority even in those moments, where he's the one who dismissed Judas to go and do his work of betraying. He's the one who, when it says he ultimately on the cross... When he died in that moment, he gave up his spirit. I mean, even all of the, the, the work of the crucifixion, it operated underneath Christ's authority. No, friends, Christ was and is king, and the kingdom exists wherever he is king. The arrival of Jesus inaugurated his kingdom. But the next thing you need to know is that the kingdom is both now and not yet. It's both now and not yet. And what this means is that as you read through the Gospels, you see that they end not with his crucifixion, but with his resurrection and Christ's promise to come back again. I'm going I'm to come back. And so the kingdom has begun, but until Christ's return, it's not going to be completely manifest. So the kingdom is here and now, but it is not yet come into its fullness. And we know this for a couple of reasons. One is because it's what Jesus taught, right? He taught us when the son of man comes into the fullness of his glory, this is what it's gonna be like. And I will come again and I will never leave you. And, And so Jesus is the one who gave us insight into this. But we also know it's true because Satan is still wrecking havoc on this world and we're still struggling with sin. All of us are. And so in many ways, we can know victory over sin, and we can know victory over demonic opposition, over disease. The truth is, we're not going to be completely free from that opposition until the fullness of the kingdom when Jesus returns. Okay? So there is a tension here. Theologians call this the now-not-yet paradox of the kingdom. The now-not-yet paradox of the kingdom. It's both here, and yet it's not yet in its fullness our daily experience. And some of this stuff, for for some of you, this is sort of all known. You kind of, yeah, I agree with this. This It's sort of what I see. But a question comes up, well, how come we don't yet, like you and I, in our journey, how come we don't live with a, a real clear expression of the kingdom of God in the here and now? Like, Why is it that we so often get confused or discouraged or doubtful? Why is it that, that in the midst of our daily life, we just don't see the kingdom clearly? And the answer to that question is because there is still an enemy at work. There is still the enemy kingdom that is constantly trying to invade our psyche, constantly trying to delude us, constantly trying to keep us subdued. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't worry about the kingdom of God stuff. Yeah, you just take, you know, you just take care of yourself and you just make sure that you're, you know, you got enough, you know, whatever, I don't know, you'll play in the fridge. Like, you just, you, whatever is your deal, right? You just, you just kind of relax. There's a movie that came out uh, several years ago called The Truman Show. I don't know, just by show of hands, how many ever saw The Truman Show? Jim Carrey? It's like, one you know, it's, it's, a, it, it itself is a paradox. A great Jim Carrey movie, right? Like, that's uh, awesome, you know. <laughs> And so Truman Show, the premise real quick is that here's a, it's a television show, but from the time that, that Truman's born, he's like adopted by the studio, and his whole life, he's lived in this fabricated reality, this huge geothermic dome, which is basically like a beautiful, well-orchestrated cage for Truman, cameras everywhere, and he's the only one living an authentic life, and everybody else is fake, and only there for as a prop, and but he starts to get suspect that there might be a larger world, that maybe the world that he's in isn't the only thing there is. And, and so he tries to escape. And some of you know he tries to drive out, but then they, you know, shut down the roads and whatever. And then he tries to sail out. And, of course, then they make a big storm come and the whole deal. And, but he sails through. He's absolutely determined. And, and he sails far enough to where the of his boat goes through the wall of the dome, you know, painted sky blue. and And he's, oh, man, there's the end, you know. And he looks over, here's a set of stairs and a little exit sign. And so he, he, he walks up the stairs, and suddenly the creator of the show begins to speak to him, out of the clouds even. And he, he basically says, Truman, there's no greater truth out there than there is in the world I created. Truman, why don't you go back home? I've orchestrated everything for your comfort. You go back home. There's nothing outside of my world, or nothing out there. My world's all you need. And the reason why I bring this up is because I want to tell you, those are the words of the enemy. Those are the words of the enemy kingdom to you, even now. Some of you are wrestling with this. It just sounds so far-fetched, two kingdoms. The enemy's speaking to you. You don't need this kingdom of God stuff. No, no, my world's all you need. You just go back home. You just take care of yourself. You just make sure, you know, pleasure and, and enough money and material stuff. That's all you, do you see? It's so insidious. Now, I want to be really clear. The enemy of God is a defeated foe, okay? He, he is defe- He's lost the victory. He's lost the battle. Uh, it's already written. But he's, he's, um, he, he, he wants to keep fighting. He's guerrilla warfare, right? Uh, the analogy I want you to have in mind, have you ever been to a pool party and you see the, a big guy um, and, and, and they've uh, pushed him into the pool and, and, and he's fighting them, right? And they push him and on, he's on the edge and you can see his weight's gonna go and he's gonna, he's gonna fall in like it's over. But he's gonna take as many people with him as possible, right? Like he's just gonna grab him, pull him in. That's, that's the enemy, right? He's defeated, He's going down, but he's going to take as many people with him as possible. Okay. So you just have to understand the two kingdoms, they're in conflict. So the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. And, and that's why Jesus' arrival was such a revolution. The next fill in here is that the kingdom is revealed or made manifest by those loyal to the king. By those loyal to the king. So, um, so look at these words from Jesus. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. You might want to circle that phrase. The kingdom of God is within you. And that's true. So you're here, you're listening to this message. If you trusted that Jesus is your savior and your Lord, then the kingdom is within you, and you now have the opportunity to reveal it in your world. It is made manifest by those who have received the authority that Jesus has given us, okay? And I want you to remember that all authority has been given to Jesus. So Matthew 28:18, Jesus told his disciples, "I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth." So Jesus has all this authority And then uh, he breathes on his disciples and he gives them the spirit of God. And with the spirit of God in our lives, we now have that restored authority that Adam and Eve had. Okay, we have the same authority that Jesus walked in this life with, we have as well. And that's power that we've received to go to proclaim, to demonstrate, and to reveal the kingdom of God in our world today. And that's what we're called to do. As subjects of his kingdom, as citizens of his reign, we are called to reveal his kingdom in the here and now. And the disciples understood this. So that next verse says what they were all up to. Luke 9, it says, When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority. Circle that phrase, because that's for us too. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so we've been given that same authority, it's by faith, that we would live as citizens of God's kingdom, revealing his reign and his rule today. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. You have more authority and more power, infinitely more, than you thought when you walked in here today. So what are you going to do with it? What are we to do with power that, gives, that Christ gives us? What are we to do with the authority that we have because his spirit dwells within us? Well, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of that. This is in the Gospel of John. It says, Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. All authority was his. How did he use it? To serve. Friends, that, that is our calling. That's our model. That's what we're to follow. We've received authority and power. Now we're to use it to serve and to share the kingdom, to live with Jesus as our king to bring healing where there's hurt, to bring hope where there is none, to bring balm where there's pain, to bring love where there's been rejection, to wash dirty feet. And so as we go through the scriptures, we see, right, that there's this full, full picture, that the kingdom is near, and it's at hand, and it's among us, and it's here within us, and it's now and it's not yet and it's coming when the king returns and it will be when the day of the lord arrives and and so jesus is constantly revealing this now and not yet nature is constantly inviting us to participate with him and reveal the kingdom make manifest the kingdom in the here and now but the thing that i love most about the kingdom of god is that the kingdom is unexpected treasure it's unexpected treasure We cannot value it adequately, and, and it will always be absolutely unexpected. that, that we, we would never have planned the kingdom to be what it is. And so Jesus says in Matthew thirteen forty four, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. I don't know if you heard about this story. It's current event uh, about a week and a half ago. A gal named Gloria McKenzie won the Powerball Lottery. It was worth $590 million, uh, the most ever for a single lottery winner. Um, she, she looks thrilled, doesn't she? She is absolutely excited. Now, um, she opted for the lump sum payment, which meant that she got $370 million, and after taxes, uh, she put in the bank about $278.2 million, uh, which is not that bad, you know, as an 84-year-old. I'm thinking that she doesn't need to be quite as frugal uh, with her life anymore. Um, I-, I do want to say this, friends. Now, I refuse to judge you if you do play the lottery, but neither do I endorse your playing. Um, you do need to come up with a better retirement plan than the lottery, and if you do happen to win, you know, <laughs> tithe. Uh. But for the sake of analogy, I want to use this story to drive a, a point home. You see, I want you to think about Gloria in and, and, and just this completely you know, hoped-for but unexpected way. She took a dollar and it turned into $278.2 million. Right? She, she, she gave a little bit and made this transformative trade with it, and it was an unexpected win. And in the same way, that's what Jesus is talking about with this, with this little analogy here. He, he's saying this about the kingdom. He's, in, he's inviting us to make this transformative and unexpected trade. And so he tells a story about a guy who's walking across the abandoned lot just past the Circle K, and it smells like stale beer and urine, and it's got some newspaper stuck to a barbed wire and a crumpled Red Bull can in the corner. Some teenagers have been riding their BMX bikes along, it. you can see their old tracks, and, and the lot has nothing to look at, no intrinsic worth. But as he's walking across, he kicks at an old log, and it makes a thud. And so he begins to clear some of the dirt away, and he finds that there is a box buried filled with treasure, stacks and stacks of cash, 50s and 100s. And he does a quick mental calculation, and it comes out around 278.2 million dollars. Now, he knows the law. He knows that whatever's found in a field belongs to the owner of a field. He's thinking, I've got to buy this field. And he looks, and it happens to be for sale. Uh, it's been repoed, and it's bank-owned. And he thinks, oh, my goodness, it's, this is my opportunity. But he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have anything saved up. And, and so what he decides to do is he decides to begin to sell everything. He sells the two-bedroom condo he's been living in. He sells his old Toyota. He sells his snowboard and his scuba gear that he hasn't used for a while. He holds an estate sale, sells all of his possessions, everything he had previously valued, the tuxedo he wore to prom, his silverware, his Star Trek memorabilia collection. He sells it all. And his buddies are mocking him. They're saying, what are you doing? You sold your camera, your catalog of U2 albums. You even sold your gold tooth Just to buy that junk piece of land? Have you lost your mind? And he just smiles. Because at the end of the day, he has exactly enough to buy the land. And so he pays for it in cash. He has the deed in his hand. The deal has gone through, and the field and everything in it are his. Even though the purchase of that field cost him everything he had, the value he received from it was infinitely greater, and that's what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God. The world says it has no value. The world says, why would you be wasting your time working for the kingdom, sacrificing for the kingdom, giving for the kingdom, praying for the kingdom come? But we know, we citizens of God's kingdom, because we've seen the value. we found the treasure. There's nothing like it anywhere. And I want to say this because the analogy falls short. But the kingdom of God is not just more. It's not just quantitatively more. It's qualitatively better. And so the trade, it's a no-brainer for us. Another analogy Jesus says in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It just blows him away. As an expert, he already knows the value. And this thing is of such great value, it's worth all he has. You see, Jesus is able to recognize that he's been given all authority in the universe, and so he chooses to wield his authority, how? By serving. By loving. By sharing. That's treasure in a field. That's Pearl of Great Price stuff. It doesn't make any sense to somebody watching. Story of one of our partners, John Thomas, who serves in South Africa. He works in a township called Overcome Heights. And this is a man who has given years and years and years of his life to this slum, the, the children especially, living in crushing poverty. And he has worked so diligently providing education and safety providing care and counseling a vision for the future of the children as well as hiv testing medical attention and he has literally given years of his life for this slum he's even sacrificed his own health in his endeavor to minister here and yet john thomas is one of the most profoundly joyful men i have ever had the honor of working with why he's found his treasure it's worth everything my friends, pastors uh, Jonathan and Jenny Cross have chosen to hear the call of the Lord to serve in Eatonville, and, and it's hard there. It, it's not a dynamic or thriving community, and, and they've been invited to pastor in other more dynamic, growing suburbs where it might be easier to build a church and a ministry, but they know that God's called them to Eatonville, and so Eatonville is getting the very best ministry they know how to offer they found their treasure. I heard a friend of mine, Bart Campolo, share a story once about how when he was serving in the inner city of Philadelphia, one summer they decided to put on a kid's camp, and so they just hosted this camp for all the kids in these neighborhoods, the urban and very difficult scenarios in these in these neighborhoods, and, and so they got the whole thing uh, underwritten, right? The, the cost was free for these children and their families, and they were able to get a t-shirt and snacks every day, and, and so Bart had set up the, uh, the camp so that there would be a competition between the kids and their little groups every day and that the winner of this competition would get an incredible prize. And of course, you know, all the kids were into it, and every day they came and had fun and, and, and worked as hard as they could, diligently as they could to win the competition. And then the last day, of course, the big reveal is, you know what, all the kids won. And so they rode these school buses into this urban center in Philadelphia and at rundown project neighborhoods, and they loaded up every school bus filled with these campers. And they headed outside of the city. These kids had never been out of their hoods before. And they went out into the, the suburbs, and, and the first stop was a McDonald's with a playland right, and they invaded the McDonald's, and every kid got a Happy Meal, and everyone's running around playing, and, and, uh, you know, they, they thought that was great, and then they loaded the kids back up, took them across to another part of town where there was a holiday inn with a covered swimming pool and a slide. And then they just let the kids go and it was, you know, pandemonium and excitement and it was water fights and chicken fights and everybody screaming and squealing and sliding and the whole deal. And and Bart just stood there, big grin in his face, looking at all this barely contained chaos that was happening. A little girl comes over to him and tugs on his pant leg. Says, Mr. Campola, you said it was going to be good. You didn't say it was going to be heaven. That's treasure. That's treasure in a field. And you know what? I just want to be honest. That the kingdom of the enemy just doesn't get it. Why in the world would you be sacrificing for the kingdom? When, when, when the mantra of the kingdom of this world is get all you can get. Why would you be serving kids in the inner city? Why would you be working in a slum in South Africa? why would you be giving your life and your heart to a community? So many of you at Overlake, you know exactly why. It's treasure. What else could I do? I have found the treasure in the field. There's no way I'm going back to anything else. And you know it comes in all kinds of ways and all kinds of temptations. You hear things like, why would you value purity? when pleasure is what we value? Why would you value generosity when greed is what we preach? Why would you value wasting your time serving others when serving yourself is what the pinnacle of this kingdom is all about? We know. right? We know because we are part of another kingdom. We found our treasure in a field. And you know what it is? It's just Jesus. It's Jesus himself. We've met him. We've met the king. We've bowed the knee before him. And we've decided, you know what? Well, we're going to submit to his rule and his authority, and his kingdom is going to be within us. And then everywhere we go, we want to make sure that we're going revealing the kingdom. And so it's that picture, right? And I just want you to see the two kingdoms but it's that picture that we're invited to walk into as we walk with Jesus, where we walk in the kingdom of light, invading the kingdom of darkness. We walk into the kingdom of freedom, overturning the kingdom of slavery. We walk under the kingdom of truth, spilling out and overwhelming the kingdom of lies. We walk in the kingdom of peace, displacing the kingdom of unrest. And we walk in the kingdom of joy, swallowing up the kingdom of loneliness. You know, I want to just invite you to, to pray right now. And if it's been a while since you've talked to the king, then this would be a good time. And you know, we're instructed in, in the New Testament by Jesus himself that we're to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. And so why don't we just spend a moment right now just praying that. Lord, we, we do pray that your kingdom would come. That in my life, that we would be able to understand your rule and reign over us. That we we would understand our faith is such treasure. And we get it. We get that not everyone understands this. We get that we're called crazy by some. We, We get that. But Lord, we want the treasure of you. We want to know you and walk with you. We, we want your kingdom to be within us. And then Jesus, we ask that you'd show us what it looks like for us to reveal it to this world. What does it look like for us to, to follow your lead and, and to put a towel around our waist and to serve those in our neighborhood, those in our schools, those in our, our cities, those in our classrooms, that, that you would show us what it looks like to wield our authority in, in, a, in a Jesus-prescripted way, that we would be able to not only experience your kingdom within us, but we'd be able to clearly demonstrate your kingdom to a world that is desperate for it. So Jesus, we just ask that you would continue to do your good work in each one of us. Thank you for your love and grace over every single one of us today. We ask that by the power of your spirit, you would carry us forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.